morning. Hello. Good morning. I walk in and my baby gets taken from me right when I come in. How is everyone this morning? Good. Good to see everyone here. Thank you for coming. I uh, just have a couple of reminders this week. Um, it's pretty light. Shannon's schedule is about to get pretty busy here for the next several months until June, <laughs> pretty much. She's going to be starting traveling um, a few weekends a month or she's got some cool special events here locally um, that I'll be putting some information out. If you live in the Queen Creek area, um, that's over by me. Uh, if you know anybody in Queen Creek, Gilbert area, uh, Shannon's going to be doing a young girls event that they're hosting next Thursday night. Um, and they're really excited about the turnout. They are looking to just have a fun night with young girls, empowering them to live as Christ calls them in a really hard time in high school. Um, I was a high school teacher before I left and it's a really, really hard time out there. So it's really good for the girls to come and hear Shannon. I'm sure she will fill them with laughter and some hope too. Uh, so that's a local event that's happening and then there'll be some other ones coming up here in February and March. Um, if you are listening online uh, to the podcast or the YouTube channel, if you could go and leave a comment on YouTube um, and just say hello Shannon or thanks for your message, that would be awesome. And if you are listening to her podcast on Apple Podcasts, if you would leave her an awesome review, that'd be really helpful um, to her as well. Shannon has reached over a thousand subscribers on YouTube, which is really great. So keep sharing those videos um, as you see them come up because we want her uh, study to get out across the country. Uh, that is all I have this morning. Hopefully you enjoyed some coffee. If you did not, go grab a cup. Uh, there's hot tea as well out there, um, or you can grab some when session is over. Enjoy and happy Tuesday. Isn't she awesome? Because you know... I would never do any of that. Y'all do know that, right? That's not in my wheelhouse. I do just what I love to do. And so it's really nice when you can find someone who uh, comes in and it's their ministry to push all of that information out there and, and to know how to do it. I mean, how many of you are great at social media and marketing and all that stuff? No. I barely get on it, to be quite honest. So it's so nice that uh, Taylor does that because as much as we gripe about it and the dangers of it, there is benefit to it as well um, to get the message out there. So I sure appreciate her um, and she works really hard. So um, have you been reading and writing, Daniel? Raise your hand if you obeyed me. I have some I have some scribes out here that uh, opened up their journals this week and started to write the book of Daniel. Um, if you weren't here last week, I challenged you to do that because when you write scripture, there's something about it. It just sticks in your heart and you see things you would not normally see as you're writing the words. And when you do that, if you write on the right side, just like I do, nobody could teach off these notes except for me. But if you write the scripture on the right side and you start in the morning in your quiet time, when you're writing, you go, huh, I've never seen that before. And you write something on the side that you want to, or you have a thought or you have a connection in your head to another story and just write that down. Don't stop writing. Just write down that thought and then go back and spend time with your questions, your ideas, your thoughts, and then open up a commentary or something that will guide you. Um, I think one of the easiest commentaries that I tell young people to look up online is um, a commentary. I can't remember the name of it, but it's by Guzik, uh, G-U-Z-I-K. And he will walk you a verse at a time. And um, he's, he's pretty deep, but simple. Because some commentaries, I could read 15 pages on one verse. That's a little overwhelming, right, for some. And so that the hard part of that is it's like trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant. I'm a nerd. I like that stuff. But then at the end of the day, how much time do I spend? And then what do I give an audience? And so that, that's the hard part. But um, get your face in the book. Because I tell you all the time, you're surviving. If all you get is Tuesday morning Bible study, oh, it'll keep you alive. Like, keep coming. 
but you are eating regurgitated food because I'm the one chewing it and digesting it and then giving it back to you. You can survive on that, so don't stop. But man, don't you want to chew your own stuff? The Holy Spirit is the great teacher and counselor, and there's something about when we have our faces in the book, it is magic how it, become, it begins to transform us. So the last time we were together, we were in the middle of chapter 6, we're going to keep going in chapter 6. Let me pray. And then I'm just going to read through some verses to remind us of where we've been. Okay, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lessons. There's so many that lie even just in this chapter. And I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for a man of great integrity who is tethered to the law. I wish I could have known him more. Lord, I just feel like he just had this spirit that was infectious, kind-hearted and empathetic, and I just think he had joy that came out of him. And he was willing to work with people and to be an influence in his culture. But Lord, when it came down to the clash between the rule of government and the rule of God, he never wavered. He stayed true to you and to his relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that we would be like that. And it's messy, Lord. We don't know every scenario Daniel faced, um, every conflict. But what we do know, Lord, is he brought everyone to you. And so may we do that. Uh, we love you. God, I pray that you would teach this morning through me and that there would be truths that each woman would take and it would sink down in their heart and it wouldn't be gone by the time she got to the car. But she would be able to chew on that all week until we meet again. Lord, I love you. Don't know why you chose to use me, but I thank you for it. And uh, God, I pray that I'll be faithful to what your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So open up to Daniel chapter 6. And let me just read some verses to remind us what we talked about last week. In verse 6, it says, Then these high officials came by agreement. What does that phrase mean? I told you to write something in your Bible last time. Conspiracy. Okay, there's a conspiracy brewing. They came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Wow. And we talked last week about what was going on here. And I suggested, I wonder what all kind of fear-mongering was going on in these discussions of all the leaders about them telling about maybe um, some divisions going on in parts of the empire and convincing him and giving this whole speech, you remember about last week, about unity. We need unity. And this is going to be a great thing because... What you're doing is making a determination that for 30 days they show you and you only allegiance because you are the mediator between man and the gods. And so they are to show you allegiance for 30 days. And I can just hear these great speeches going out on Instagram all over the empire about unity and why this great campaign. The truth is... They were preaching unity, but they were asking for what? You remember? Conformity. But the bottom line of all of it is, in my opinion, I believe it's all smoke and mirrors. Because I don't believe they give a rip at this moment about unity or conformity, really. What they're after is what? One man... And they don't want him demoted. They want him what? Dead. Why? Because he is messing up their plan. 
because they know that if Daniel is the head leader of the entire empire, that it is going to change their ways. They cannot, they've already looked for smut. Do you remember? And they have found what? Nothing. He is a man of integrity. He's tethered to the law. They cannot find one thing to use to motivate him so that, that he will uh, conform to their ways. And so their only um, option is to get rid of him. And they devise this entire plan to do so. All smoke and mirrors so that they would be benefited. And the fact is, Daniel was a man of unity. He was. He was an example of unity. I mean, come on. He led, he was a high government official for 70 years in the enemy Babylonian empire that actually took his people captive and put them in exile. He was, he did have unity. Do you remember what unity was when I explained it to you? It's a diverse group of people that come together under one common goal. And both parties share in the cost and the success. And so when it came to the Babylonian Empire and what was good for the empire, Daniel was unified with those governments for the betterment of the Babylonian people and his people actually in this empire. He was an example of unity and now he had been that example in the Persian empire as well. And that is why he had been elevated to such status. Daniel is light. The problem is they didn't like the light. They wanted to go back to what? Darkness. They were the ones dividing and heading back to darkness because their deeds were evil. The only conflict between governmental, the only time he had a conflict was when it was about governmental laws versus God's laws. Because he was willing, remember, over time he changed his dress, he changed his name, he was completely re-educated, but when it came to his covenant relationship with God, the law of God, he did not compromise. Don't you find it interesting they put a 30-day limit on this situation? Yeah? I mean, they didn't change it forever. They just did 30 days. What does that tell you? The CIA has done enough research on Daniel that I don't even think they thought it would take 30 days because they know what he's like. And they're thinking 30 days is plenty of time. This man's not going to go back and not pray for 30 days. He's destined for the lion's den. And they were absolutely correct. In verse 10, it says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Daniel Aiken says this, Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. You want me to say that again so you can write it down? Daniel Aiken. Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. Daniel's response is to do what he's always done. He obeys God rather than man and continues his pattern of spiritual devotion that has marked his life for years. And it is a pattern that his enemy knows well. What did Daniel do? In adversity, he did what he always did. He didn't pray anymore and he didn't pray any less. He didn't change his posture he didn't change the location. He went back and did what he has always done. Isn't it interesting how he is not reactionary? How about us? Oh, I'm reactionary. Some edict goes down, I freak out. You know, the fact is, really, what does it change? 
We go back. We have this pattern, this rhythm. I love it. Daniel's response may seem risky to many. Many of us tend to be men pleasers. Why? Because we know that men have the ability to hire and fire. They have the ability to break our hearts. They have the ability to slander us. And they have the ability to generally make our lives miserable. Right? And so many of us are men pleasers. The power to obey God and stand for him comes from a settled understanding. And what is that understanding? God is in control. What is the entire book of Daniel about? That. It is telling us, I know what you see seems impossible or chaotic. I know it seems all this time that Nebuchadnezzar, the Belshazzar, that the Babylonian kingdom, uh, which was not a kingdom that served God, Yahweh, that this kingdom is in control, that the power lies with them. But he's been showing them God is above the kingdoms of men. He is in control. He is not surprised. And now he is saying it again. And so Daniel has this presence about him because he knows above all that God is in control and that is what he is preaching to the exiles and to us in this book no matter what you see here is what you do endure and remain faithful I don't have tattoos but I swear if I had one um, <laughs> the reason I don't is not a moral thing so it is no judgment on tattoos trust me I've had this conversation with my kids the problem is I get tired of an outfit in six months I don't know if I would want something permanently put on my body because then I might get sick of it and then what do you do and I would have buyer's remorse and the fact that I'm old so you really need to pay attention to where you put it because it might look like a butterfly when you put it on there and in about 10 years it looks like some old faded moth that got stomped on I don't know are you with me but I think that if I got it I would do something where I'd say endure remain faithful like so that you could see it as a reminder but instead of getting a tattoo I think it was tattooed on his heart and um, every day he went to that spot I love the fact that Daniel didn't just preach it he lived it and um it was sweet. This decree did not change Daniel one way or another. Uh, Walverd says this, this was not the act of a person courting martyrdom, but the continuation of a faithful ministry and prayer which had characterized his long life. Daniel wasn't seeking to be a martyr. He just went back and kept doing what he always does because you need to understand there was no biblical requirement for him to go pray three times a day. It was suggested in the psalm, and I'll show you where it was, but there was no biblical requirement. This was his personal what? Habit. Why do you think he set up a habit like that? Because he is in a culture that is adamantly counter to anything that they are to live out. And in order to do that well, he personally thought it was important that he set up a life of prayer three times a day. Which, oh man, I need to be so much better at. This was private. It was private and it was in his own home. His window was open facing Jerusalem. Let me tell you why I think this tells us that. Go to 1 Kings 8. First Kings 8. This is Solomon speaking, King Solomon. Look at verse 30. He is uh, dedicating the temple. And he is saying, And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Now look at 46, verse 46. 
Listen to what he predicts and talks about. If they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you, what? Toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people. That's what he was doing. He was turning his eyes and his face towards Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to see a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, he knelt, so his posture was one of humility. You see that in scripture. You see Jesus kneel in Luke twenty two forty one. You see Peter kneeling down in prayer with that posture in Acts nine forty. You see it throughout. I'm just giving you examples. You see Paul with all the leaders of the church kneeling down in Acts twenty thirty six. It is a posture of begging, which reminds me of. Um, the Beatitudes, I always call them the attitudes to be, where it talks about um, being poor in spirit. It's the idea of a beggar. We have nothing to offer. And in, in that attitude, we cannot have pride because we're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And where did I get that? Derek, who preaches right here, years ago said that and it stuck in my mind. That is the attitude. It is this humility. He was bowing the knee to the actual king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that was his posture. He would turn towards the window that was looking in the direction of his city, Jerusalem, and he had an attitude of humility and he prayed. And he did it three times a day. Psalm 55, 17 talks about praying three times a day, um, a suggestion of doing that. Um, don't you think our meals are just a great opportunity? Right? Except I've never done this well. I'm going to be honest with you. Because most of the time, to me, that's not the time where I'm in a situation where it's true, like me posturing my personal self and really spending time with God. So, and I'm starving. <laughs> Have you ever sat with people who you're starving to death and they're praying for everything? <laughs> I have a friend who's a comedian and she does this whole parody where she sings a song to Frozen. And then the whole thing is, say amen, say amen, please let this prayer end. Say amen, say amen. If you grew up Southern Baptist, there were some men, some deacons. That was their opportunity to be heard. And they prayed a long time. But this was a very personal prayer. It was private. It was in his place. It was sincere and it was personal. So although I think we can do the three times a day with meals, this right here was really personal time with God. It wasn't so that anybody else could hear it. I'm sure he prayed more, but he put himself in a position of formal prayer posture three times a day facing Jerusalem. Here's the deal. He wasn't living in a city. He was living for a city. And that should remind you of Hebrews 11.10, where it talks about Abraham looking forward to the city with whose foundation and architect and builder is God. Abraham never saw the promise fulfilled fully. He looked towards a city, the heavenly city. Um, P.T. Forsyth said this, you pray as your face is set towards Jerusalem or Babylon. You pray as your face is set 
towards Jerusalem or Babylon. Most of the world starts their day looking towards the world and hoping to get something from it. But the believer looks to the Lord and his promises and enters each new day by faith. How do you start your day? Looking towards Babylon or looking towards the new Jerusalem whose architect is God? Outlook determines outcome. I learned that in gymnastics. Believe it or not, I was quite the gymnast, right? Some of you talk about my guns. The only reason I have guns is because I'm just an old gymnast, right? But I remember I hated the beam, hated it, because I wasn't that flexible. I was very powerful. So I was going to win bars. I was going to win the vault. And I was going to do pretty good on the floor. And if I could do good on beam, I was looking good in the overall. But I hated that dumb beam. But the thing about the beam is where you look, that's where you go. And you had to keep your head and your shoulders square to the end and that destination. If you lost vision there, you were falling off. If you've ever tried to walk along a curb, being like that, right? And so that is the deal. Where are you looking? Outlook determines outcome. D.L. Moody says this, real true faith is man's weakness leaning on God's strength. Once again, his prayer habit is the same. It was consistently reminding ourselves of the goodness and faithfulness that we will be more faithful to trust. Psalms 57 would have been a very good prayer for him. Look at Psalm 57. I wonder if he, if he used that in this situation. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. I wonder if he's talking about the animal or the humans. Who's really the lions in this situation? The beasts. Those acting like beasts. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. How in the world could we ever read Psalm 57 and not think of Daniel? It is a beautiful psalm. I wonder if those were the, the thoughts on his mind. Daniel 9 even goes on to tell us what his habit was, that he, when he prayed, he was pleading that God would show mercy on his land and the temple, which now was in ruin. He sought the restoration of his people, and I'm sure he asked for personal mercy as well. It reminds me of Zacharias. Do you remember after the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence? Did you know that? 400 years, nothing. Silent, zero, no prophets. 
And then we enter into the New Testament. And do you know what one of the first things that basically God speaks? There's a man, a priest by the name of Zechariah. And he got the once by lot, he got a once in a lifetime opportunity to go into the temple and to serve in in the temple. Okay? And when he went in, right? It was his, and by the way, do you remember who he was married to? Elizabeth, right? Zachariah was married to Elizabeth and they were barren. But he went in and he was offering prayer at the altar of incense in front of the veil. What do you think he was praying about? Well, what any priest would pray at this time, the desire of the coming of the Messiah. They were praying for the Holy One for deliverance. And what else do you think he might have thrown in there? Or at least was in his heart. The desire, his personal desire, to have a child, right? And God answered both, if you remember the story. So uh, the angel came to him and said, you will have a son. Do you remember his name? John, John the Baptist. And that son, so all of this works together. You will have a child, but that child is going to work into the coming of the Messiah because he is the forerunner of the Messiah. And so after 400 years of silence, this is what God said. Zachariah means God remembers. Or Zachary. God remembers. Elizabeth means the oath or promise. And John means faithful. And when you put them together, what is that saying? God remembers his promise and is faithful. So awesome. He has this way when we come to him, like Daniel is coming to him every day. What is the main prayer Daniel is praying? For the restoration of Israel and the land and the temple. That's what he longs for. But then in the meantime, he's got some personal stuff that needs to be handled. And isn't that how God is? How in the world can he be above all and be bringing everything to this fruition to keep his promises, but still care about Mary Shannon Hoffpower and my personal things? Daniel always kept his eye towards the restoration of all things, remembering that God is above all things. And while doing that, he laid out his personal things before the Lord to receive God's mercy. And that is what he is doing. How often do we pray for, oh, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I long to see you. I long for the restoration of all things. And when we pray that way, guess how we live? If we pray that way three times a day and we're thinking about the glorious future, about what the new Jerusalem is going to be like that, don't you think that we would bring the kingdom of heaven to earth a little bit more and we would live like we were already there? Daniel had this way. I cannot wait to meet him someday. Then these men came by agreement. What's that mean? Man, y'all are A students. Conspiracy and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, paid no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Oh. They found Daniel praying. Of course they did. Because this was a full-on setup, conspiracy, and they still had him under surveillance. Guys, Daniel did not change his ways. He did not respond to this edict by going up to the edge of the window so that everybody could see him, so that he prayed three times a day in response to this kind of edict. No. The window was there. He was in his own private place 
praying. They had him under surveillance the whole time. This was a setup. And so they are looking to find that, and that is what they do. He didn't go out to make a spectacle. He never changed a thing that he did. They were like CIA, MI6, and they were viewing in that window waiting. And boy, it didn't. why didn't they just say a week? They didn't need 30 days. They needed a day. It's unbelievable. God could have closed their eyes, by the way, because he's going to close the mouth of the lions. He could have spared Daniel from the whole thing. But his purpose wasn't to save Daniel from trials, but to save him through the trials. You want me to say that one more time so you can write that in your notes? That's a good one. He wasn't going to save Daniel from the trials. He was going to save Daniel through the trials. I can think of three other men who understand that as well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I saw this, this quote. I thought it was so good. It says, God is not committed to our comfort. Do we need to remember that in the United States? especially. God is not committed to our comfort. He is not committed to making our paths through life smooth. He is committed to sanctifying us and demonstrating his own glory in and through us. And very often that commitment means he subjects our earthly vessels to pressures that certainly shatter us. Were his grace, were his grace not sufficient for us, the Lord will take you into the eye of the storm to show that he is the storm's master and that he can make your fragile vessel float safely to the other side. His wonderful plan is to sanctify you through the trials and tribulations. I've always loved the story of Jesus um, after the feeding of the 5,000, um, sending his disciples across the lake. And he sends them, he orders them to go across the lake and they obey. And the surprising thing, if you remember, is the wind was not at their backs. The wind was what? At their face. You would think that if Jesus told us to do something and we were obedient, that life would be smooth. The wind would be at our backs. Like we would, we would go. It'd be like finding Nemo and jumping into the EOC and you just kick back. You remember that movie? Right? And the turtle just, just rides the wave. That's what she would think. But no, it was in their face. And they rode and they fought it all night long until Jesus comes by and they think they see a ghost. And then you have that crazy story about how Peter says, ask me to come out. And you do. And he keeps his eye on Jesus for a while. But then when his eye falls away he, and he's looking at the situation around, he begins to sink and it's so funny to me that Mark never talks about that part of the story, which Mark is Peter's writer of his side of the story. Why did Peter not include that? Maybe that wasn't the greatest highlight of Peter's life. Maybe Peter would be shocked that we preach whole sermons on that situation about how great, what great faith looks like. He didn't mention it. He probably didn't think that was his greatest moment. But despite all that, sometimes I wonder, why do we overlook the other guys? They're doing what Jesus asked them to do. They're still rowing. Sometimes God may ask us to get out of the boat and call us to meet him and do something crazy. But just because he does that with you, don't judge because the other people are still in that same boat and they're rowing in obedience against the wind and they're remaining faithful and we need to remember don't judge the circumstances around us if the wind is in your face that God's not in this no the enemy hates what we're doing there's always going to be pushback God has not promised us comfort he is going to sanctify us through the trials and what we're going to see in this next part of the story is that many times through the trials and how we ride that wave and how we progress through the trials is the thing that brings him the greatest glory. Now, do we want them? No. 
comfort. Don't you? But the greatest thing that people see, honestly, in this world is how we ride the waves. That is what they watch. And they wonder how. How can that person still be standing? How can they still be walking? And, how, and, they, and God receives the greater glory through that. And so I've said so many times, we have to stop with the why, why, why me, God? Why did I have to go through that? Why did you do it this way? Why did you let me get thrown into that pit? And instead, because you're never going to get the questions to why here, but to say, okay, for what end? Then for what end? Make it count. Goodness, make it count. And get the glory so that other people can see. And that is what he is about to do. So let me tell you what these little brats did. They went to this king and they made him restate what he has done to make sure he's standing by this law, this edict. So now if he backs out, he's going to look ridiculous because they went in and said, now let me get this straight one more time. Is this what you sent out as an edict? And am I correct that it cannot be revoked? And he goes, absolutely. And then they're like, bam. Well, let me tell you about one, Daniel. And do you think it's interesting that they say one of the exiles from Judah? He is 85 years old. That happened 70 years ago. And he is still at this moment. What are they saying? You can't trust him. He's an enemy. He's in exile. He's not truly a part of us. It's a racist slur. They're insinuating a lack of allegiance. That he has a, but he has a lifetime record of being true to his king. And that's all they could find to use. Have you ever met, I want to tell you what, in this day and age, this whole character slander thing, right? One accusation, one thing, and we get this idea of canceling people out. That's ridiculous. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Do you know how many people have changed this world that are so smart, that have created something, come up with something? Do you know how many dumb things they said before that? Right? Do you want to be judged on past events? Like, we, we don't have, we don't give people the ability to grow and change and change their mind and to acknowledge new things. We don't give the freedom to have diverse ideas. Right? That's where you grow. That's where you come together and understand when you communicate that way. We preach unity. What we see today is uh, we want conformity. And when you do that, you're going to lose intelligence because you have just lost the diverse opinions and ideas coming together to discuss. And we do all this in a false understanding of tolerance. Because when I was young, tolerance meant that what I believe is correct is correct and what you believe, that, that's what you believe to be true. But guess what? We will be free to talk about those things and I will tolerate you as another human being made in the image of God. I will tolerate you, meaning I will show kindness to you. I can listen to you. I can be around you and communicate with you. That is not today what they're feeding our young people about tolerance. Tolerance today says that if I do not say that what you believe is true and of equal value to what I believe that I am being intolerant. That's ridiculous. There are two, there are things that cannot be true at the same time. It's illogical. It's not even logical. And now we're to the point where if I don't say, only say that what you believe is true and equal with mine, I now need to celebrate your truths or I'm intolerant. It's, it's a rough situation. 
And so we need to watch out um, for some of those things. But basically, he had a life, a life record. If you look at Daniel's voting record, okay, those are the facts. He has a life record of being allegiant to his king, to being honorable, to showing integrity. And now they make some claim or racist slur that, listen, Daniel did not obey you. And, and by the way, keep in mind, he is in exile from Jerusalem. He pays no attention to you, they say. He does not show regard for you. This is junk. It's not true. What are they doing? They are spinning a narrative. They are putting falsehoods out there. Daniel did not intend any disrespect. He only had a higher respect for God. That's it. He didn't disrespect his king. He respected him as the authority of the land. But when there was a conflict between the authority of the land and the authority of God, it wasn't even a competition. He would choose God every time. He meant no disrespect. We know that the more respect we have for God, the more respect we will show for our authorities. Matter of fact, to be obedient to God's law should make you the greatest citizen that there ever was. Let me give you some verses that talk about authority and what Jesus said and his, and his men said that we should show authority for different groups of people. Romans 13, 1 tells us that we should show authority for our government. We should submit to authority of our government. That's messy. We don't want to. There's a lot of areas I could go off on right now, but we don't want to. But to, in order to be a good citizen of a heavenly kingdom, the Lord has told us that we need to be a good citizen of this earthly kingdom. As an example, uh, in Romans 13, 7, it says that we need to pay our taxes. Rude? Rude. And in my opinion, they're just going to continue to get out of control. Every time I look up at the news, there's a new tax. Now they're talking about keeping up with mileage and the more we drive, we're going to get taxed. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to be broke. <laughs> right? I mean, but we are to pay our taxes. 1 Peter 2.17 says all people, brotherhood, and the king. 1 Timothy 2.2 says that we're to pray for our rulers. You're telling me you think Daniel prayed three times a day and he never included his ruler, his king, his other leaders, the people of Babylon, the people of Persia? You don't think he prayed like that? I do. I think he was one of their greatest allies they could ever have. He meant no disrespect. 1 Peter 2.13, human institutions. Did I tell you last time? I can't remember. I can't remember a week ago, but... You know, I worked for so Christian school for so long teaching Bible. And one of the greatest arguments in Christian education is dress code. I'm telling you what, it wore me out. And I finally, I mean, one day I just went off on a lecture to my juniors and seniors in high school. And I said, listen, this has nothing to do with dress code. This has to do with submitting to authority. Quit making dress code moral. Okay, there are values and laws. Laws are made from values. Yes, so there is a value of um, being modest, of modesty in this institution. So from that value, they created a rule. This is an institution you go to. It's optional. And just because you pay for it doesn't mean you get to determine the rules of the institution. And so this institution says, here are the rules of how you should dress when you come. And guess what? This isn't going to be the last time you face that. Try being a police officer. They're going to tell you what uniform to wear. If you go into the military, they're going to tell you what uniform to wear and how to wear it. And so the problem has nothing to do. This isn't about your salvation or morality. This is the fact that you come to an institution that says this is a rule. And you're breaking it. And then you're mad at them. You're smart. You're juniors and seniors. You know the rule. 
If I can see your fanny, you're going to get sent home. And why are you mad at me? And I go, and then more than that, here's the other part of the problem. You have parents who aren't doing anything about it either. Right? Because honestly, if the authority problem was working at home, where the apparent uh, honored the institution and enforced it in their home, and then the child honored the mother and father, I would never have to be in that position, right? Because you go, uh, chick, you need to turn yourself around. You're not wearing that to school because I'm working today. And I don't have time to pick you up because they're going to send you home by noon and they should. So go up there. Do you know what I'm saying? It makes you crazy. We are to honor the institutions. If you think that the institutions that I have been under, that I love everything they do and think it is right, even in the Christian world, you're crazy. And it makes it harder because it's the Christian world. And you're just like, how could this be? How could that be? And then we start arguing over theology. And then before you know it, we're like divided. And the bottom line is this. If we are under that institution, we need to give it respect and honor. And he tells us that. Uh, that we also need to honor the aged, which we don't. We don't honor the aged. That's why I love this Bible study because you get to hang out with different age groups. When I was growing up as a young married woman, um, I went to Bible study. We sat at round tables and we had to, you know, we talked about stuff. And I do love that. It's not always capable today. But I learned from the older women. And they had my respect. You forget they were young once. Until you get there. And then you're like, well, I don't know, but I feel 20 inside. Outside I don't, but it hurts my, outside hurts my feelings. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, you can pay all the money you want with Botox and filler, but it's eventually going to catch you. Can I just tell you? Come on. We're going to age. And age should be a beautiful thing. And there's wisdom with age. And we learn to laugh. My mom and I were talking the other day about getting old and how she's turning into my granny. And I'm turning into her. The other day I said something. My friend goes, oh my gosh, you just sounded just like your mother. And I went, well, I know. And then I can start talking like her, you know. But it is. We need to honor the age. There's great wisdom there. Yes, they may not understand some of the cultural things. Lord knows my mom can't work a computer to save her life. All of that. They may not understand technology and the cultural things. But as we are studying the Bible, what are we learning? There ain't nothing new under the sun. Humanity is humanity. And we learn lessons through the years. And we should honor the age. We should honor Hebrews 13, 17 says our leaders. And Ephesians 6, 1 says parent. And that's where it starts. Can I just say, man, that's where it starts. It hurts my feelings in the grocery line. When I hear the nonsense going on with parents and kids and how young people are treating their parents. Listen, I didn't run a perfect place, but I'm going to tell you, you didn't sass me often. And there are times I probably should have been way more forthcoming with my own failures as they grew older. But I'm telling you, when they're young, you better win. Because there needs to be that. They need to, that's where it all starts. That's where they learn to honor authority that God has placed over them. And it starts in the home. And I'm going to tell you what the mouths that I hear, oh my lands. I have left many a grocery cart, can I just tell you, to go back to that minivan and whip a fanny. <laughs> and you know, I don't care. You can email me if you want about whippings. <laughs> I spanked them because they needed it. 
And I didn't have to spank them often because when I said I was going to do it, I did it. And I'll never forget one time uh, someone asked Zachary, who are you more afraid to spank you, your mom or your dad? And he goes, take your pick because my mom could bring it. I did not play around. And I'm telling you, Hillary about sent me to the edge of insanity from the time she was four to four and a half. Uh, and honestly, she got saved. And it was a absolute change the moment she did that. But I fought her like a junkyard dog. And, and I thought, I'm losing this battle. But I didn't. And now it's so fun at 26 when she looks back and I can hear my words now coming out of her mouth and all of that and I'm like oh my gosh and let me tell you from four to four and a half she killed me and from about 21 to 24 she tried it again <laughs> and, it, and it was rough it's not easy I don't want you to think it's easy and I understand it because um, there's a lot of brokenness in there but you have to decide your dance and I write about this in my Bible study. How are you going to dance? And if it hasn't been, if, you might need to change your dance. And what's going to happen if you do that? Everybody who's used to dancing with you, they're not going to like it. At all. Because they're used to you dancing like this. And so what's going to happen? Woo! It's not going to be good. Y'all are not going to be on the same moves, but you've got to determine why you changed your dance. You've got to know the why, because if you know it and it's big enough, you'll keep dancing that same dance. And they may go off and not want to dance with you at all. You might even have to kick them out in order to do that, which is gut-wrenching. But eventually, they will come back and realize, oh, to dance with her? This is how it has to happen. And that could be a, a relationship, uh, like a romantic relationship. It could be kids. It could be you train people how to treat you. I should make a t-shirt that says you deserve what you allow. And teachers, can I just tell you, you should have that on a poster in your room. You deserve what you allow. Nobody can learn anything in chaos. If you cannot control a classroom, it will not matter what a good teacher you are because they won't hear it because it's chaotic. You have to win. There has to be authority in that classroom. And the sad thing is, is administrations aren't allowing that to happen. Daniel was a man who submitted to authority. He was a man of unity. He had a great spirit. And the thing is here, in 14, it says it all. It says, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Now, some of your Bibles have the, the correct interpretation. Some of your Bibles added at himself. But it says that he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down how to rescue him. Much distress. The Hebrew here basically infers that he is disturbed or frustrated with himself. It could be that he is distressed by his willingness to go along with his own legislation, which he now realizes too late was egregiously wrong and has trapped one of his finest, Daniel, into a seemingly impossible corner. He, he, he understands, he's like, you little suckers. You got me. I fell for it. And it upset him. And why is this king upset? Because there is not one thing about Daniel or his life that says that he is a man that does not respect authority. The reason he has been elevated to this level is because he had great wisdom, a great spirit, and an unbelievable accountability to his authority. And he knows it. And he knows it so much that the king who gave the law now knows he's trapped by the law. He stayed up all night doing what? Grieving and fasting. He grieved and he fasted. We're going to see that in just a minute. <clears throat> it says that he labored till the sun went down 
So as long as he could, he was trying to figure out how to get Daniel out of the situation because the execution was going to happen that night. That was Persian law. When there, <clears throat> when there was a ruling, that person would be executed that night. It would not wait till the morning. And so he, to the very last moment, he tried to figure out how to get away, how he could get him out of that situation. It says, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. They came in agreement, conspiracy. They laid a good trap. Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. I wrote in my notes, actually, he's been in the den of lions this whole time. I'm going to end with this. Was it actually true that the king could not revoke the edict? Can you think of another time in the Old Testament that there was an edict like this in the Persian hint, hint empire? Esther, right? And so Esther... You see this kind of edict, and King Xerxes, what did he do after all that showdown went down? He just put a counter, he put a new edict. That was the counter effect of that. But here's the problem with this. Do you remember how I said these conspirators came and made him repeat the edict? So now that he repeated it that very day, holding true, if he had gone back on his word because of one man, Daniel, what would his word then be like in the future? Junk. So they had caught him in a trap. Here's your last thought. I wrote, interesting, Daniel, I, I go, interesting, the king chose to sacrifice Daniel under duress. But he chose to sacrifice Daniel rather than undermine his word. But Daniel chose to sacrifice himself rather than undermine God's word. And both of them, you guys, although it seems like Daniel has great peace and the king has great duress, but both of them are trusting God in this situation. We're going to see what happens. This is so exciting. How does a woman stay in Daniel chapter 6 for three weeks? It's a gift. <laughs> Some people are new today, and they were like, we, we didn't know if we should just come on in the middle. I said, you might as well. You, I mean, you never know when Daniel's going to end. I, I mean, I'm going to really try to get to the, I'll get to the end. Yes, I will, by the end of this year. But, I mean, wh why rush through good stuff? Right? That's what Bible study is all about. I don't have to have a series where I get through four in a month. I, I'm not, I don't have that rule. So, it is so fun to look at. Here's the question for the day. What is the rhythm of your life? Is the rhythm of your life, do you have such a rhythm with the Lord that no matter what happens, you just go right back to that rhythm because you know God is in control? Or do we just react all the time by, by the new thing? You know? And what do we, are we good at submitting to our authorities? I'm good unless you mess with my kids, my pocketbook, or my guns. <laughs> I mean, don't mess with my kids' minds and that education stuff. That really makes me mad. And don't mess with my pocketbook because we're doing the best we can. And I'm from the South, girls. Don't mess with my guns. <laughs> All right? So I'm just joking around, kind of. Um... <laughs> But it is very hard, especially when you feel the wickedness of what's going on in our government. And I'm, I'm not judging you because I'm, I'm not good at it either. But we do need, as best we can, we need to have such a rhythm 
that God reminds us that he is in control and that he rules over the kingdoms of men. He's not surprised. He places people in power and he removes people from power and he's in control. And we need to be good citizens of our government so that God can get the glory. But when it comes to the word of God, salvation, those things, when government crosses that, and it's coming, because they're going to tell me what I can and cannot say. And y'all be ready to bring me some pies in prison. My favorites <laughs> are banana cream. So just saying, with a file so I can get out. But I wouldn't be too good in prison. I don't look good in orange. I would have very gray roots. My eyebrows would be completely out of control. So I don't need to go to prison. Um, but when it comes to that, and it's coming, that is where we will not compromise, right? We will be unified. We will be people of unity. That is not conformity. Um, so I, I just pray over you that you have a good rhythm to endure that and that every day, where is our faith? It's towards the new Jerusalem. And we're constantly praying for the restoration that is coming, that has been promised, because he's a promise-keeping God. And one day, it would all be made right. And guess what? We are exiles. Absolutely. You know that Shannon Hoffpower that's in exile? Yeah. I'm in exile, and I'm going to do the best I can in this period. But my face, I want it towards Jerusalem. Amen. Isn't Bible study so fun to come to? You're like, there's some Bible, there's some nonsense, there's some comedy. It's all good. Um, and I love seeing your faces. Bring new friends. It doesn't matter if they start in the middle. And you get your steps in. I mean, are you going to let parking keep you from coming to Bible study? Okay, that's crazy. Carpool and go to lunch and have a life. Okay, it's all good. Lord, thank you for today. I thank you for these women. I thank you for the opportunity of walking through your scriptures and seeing a man who we're going to see next week. Um, Lord, he is such a beautiful picture of you. And isn't that, Lord, what you want all of us to be? That you are sanctifying us not through comfort, very often through trials, burning away the things that do not to be, need to be present in our life and so that we can glorify you through all things and that we can become the image of Jesus not fully we never will none of the men and women in this bible were fully capable of being you that's the whole point we are not capable but there were many areas in their life where they shone and they pointed to you with their lives and so god i pray that you would continue to sanctify us and that when people see us that there are elements of us that are just such a sweet picture of jesus Lord, it's messy down here, and I know you know it, and there's nothing new under the sun. There have been generations of people who have thought they've been in the worst time ever of life, and we say that every day. We feel like it's getting worse every day. But God, like Daniel, may we just have a rhythm that always reminds us, oh, we're not. It isn't so crazy that you don't see it. You're fully in control. You are working all things out together for the good of those who love you and are called according to his purpose, and you will receive the glory. And so, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. Be with these women and bring us back together next week. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.